Welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. On today's show, Dave celebrates Groundhog Day lockdown style by Zooming with Angela Bischoff. They talk about how she has adapted to lockdown in Toronto. Angela shares how Queen Street is a ghost town with an increasing number of closed storefronts. Angela and her partner have navigated the pandemic caretaking for her mother. They talk about how the province appears to be using the pandemic as a cover for furthering the agenda of allowing development within sensitive areas of the Greenbelt, neutering conservation authorities' power to protect nature, and moving forward with subsidizing nuclear power and fracked gas as part of the Ontario energy mix. Welcome to the Pandemic Show. Today, we're talking with Angela Bischoff from Toronto, Ontario. Angela, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Super. Thank you, David, and thanks for inviting me. Happy Groundhog Day, February 2nd. How's your Groundhog Day been? Nothing extraordinary has happened. I rode my bike to the office today, as usual, and just working like any other day. You're working from the office? Yeah, I've been coming into the office all throughout the pandemic. It's a 10-minute bike ride from my home, so it gets me out of the house. It gets me into the environment and gets some gets my legs moving. It's a small office. I have my own space, so it's safe and quiet. Did you see your shadow today? <laughs> I did not see my shadow. I guess that's a good thing. Spring is coming. I took the dogs out for a walk this morning at 740. And first Chubba the dog saw his shadow, then Roderick, and then I saw my shadow. So I'm torn. I feel like we're going to have a late winter. You got up too early. (laughs) And then I was paying attention to the groundhogs today. Wyerton Willie and Sam from Nova Scotia say early spring. But Punxsutawney Phil from Pennsylvania says late winter. So it seems like the rodents are divided on what the weather's <laughs> going to do in the different regions. I'm going for the Canadian Wyerton, Willie and, and Sam. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. I was I was anxiously awaiting Lucy the lobster's prediction. Lucy the crustacean, Lucy the lobster's been predicting the weather now for a couple years, but Lucy the lobster's team did not do a presentation this year as a result of COVID-19. So the pandemic has affected Groundhog Day in the sense that Lucy the Lobster did not make a prediction. Oh, I've never heard of Lucy. I'm sorry. I won't for a whole nother year. Yeah, Lucy. Lucy's been endorsing the other Groundhog's predictions, but Lucy's handlers were concerned that they might get a crowd larger than 10, and that would break the Nova Scotia lockdown, so they erred on the side of caution. Oh, now, I'm a, there. last couple years, Groundhog's Day fell on a weekend, which was really exciting. I was looking forward to celebrating Groundhog Day today, even though it's during the work week, but COVID's really put a damper on, on Groundhog Day, like every celebration, it seems, since since March 2020. Yeah, it's kind of a drag, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's really a downer for me, as Groundhog Day is one of my main holidays. I know really? some people I know some people are into Halloween. Well, I, I prefer Groundhog Day. 
Well, I'm glad to be celebrating Groundhog Day with you, David. Thanks, Angela. Happy Groundhog Day to you. Thanks and same to you. The pandemic started in Ontario for me around March. We had our first lockdown. Can you tell us what your life was like before the pandemic arrived in Ontario, Angela? I had a very busy full schedule. Like I was going out several nights a week and, uh, you know, working every day, always out on weekends, nighttime socializing. I was a very active urbanite and uh, things all came to a, to a halt mid-March of 2020. But I got to say, it's overall been a really great experience for me. I know for a lot of people, they've really suffered, but for me overall, Slowing down, spending more time at home has been a real blessing. I found the slower pace of life something positive as well. I'm also bubbled with members of my family, so getting to spend time with my family has been a positive. I'm fortunate that I haven't had economic consequences as a result of the pandemic. I'm still able to pay my bills and whatnot. And I can only imagine how difficult it is for the low wage, low wage earners, and also people that are affected by, by poverty. And also people who their health has been affected. I have a friend whose partner died from COVID. And so I've really been touched very personally by this illness. And also I have several friends that are vulnerable economically and have suffered through lack of work during this time. Luckily, none of my friends have been evicted, but of course that is a real concern for lots of Ontarians as well. We're in the second wave in Ontario. We're going through the second lockdown. Is there currently a moratorium on evictions or evictions occurring business as usual? You know, I'm not really sure. I think there is a moratorium till the end of January or February. Like they've extended that moratorium a couple of times. But I'm not up to date on that, where that's at. It's alarming how many people are being adversely affected economically. And it doesn't seem that in Canada anyway, there's the same level of support as there was in the spring lockdown with the CERB. I have no idea. I know there is some sort of CERB extension. There was the first round of CERB and now there's a whole nother round of it. I think that's still going right now. Well, it's positive to hear that there's support out there for those that need it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Toronto, before the pandemic and before times, was a very vibrant, multicultural community. There was always something going on. I can only imagine that Toronto must be harder hit by this lockdown with the high density living than myself who lives in the country or some of my family that lives in low density. Oh yeah, in many ways it's like a ghost town here. I live on Queen Street, which is a major east-west downtown route. I bet you a quarter of the shops and stores have closed down along Queen Street. There's so many vacancy signs. So many businesses gone out of business and the and the ones that are open, they're just desperately trying to sell booze. Like there's cannabis stores that are opening up in all of like practically every block. It's like booze and cannabis stores on every block and coffee shops. That's really, really dead by day, like way less traffic by day and by night. No nightlife. No festivals, summer festivals, winter festivals, theaters, just crash, dance, schools. 
It's just a, like a real dead zone, very strange. The parks, I live very near a park. Lots of people still walking around in the parks. That's a very changed city. What were some of the early changes that you noticed in Toronto in March when the initial lockdown came? Uh, well, all the events, people had, including myself, had events planned. Everything suddenly got cancelled. Everybody thought it was just going to be such a short-term thing. And it's just like month after month just kept getting extended. Suddenly all the summer festivals were cancelled. I can't believe it has gone on almost an entire year already. It hasn't gone that fast either, has it? No. But like I said, it's been a, a blessing in so many ways too. Like having much less traffic in the city is a beautiful thing when you're a bicyclist. And staying home with family, reconnecting on way more personal levels with a small bubble, listening to more music, cooking way more. That's really been a, a blessing for me in so many ways, an unexpected blessing. I didn't realize how I would appreciate slowing down, spending more time at home. Using Zoom has been a real boon for me. I've appreciated being able to contact my family out west much more regularly, do yoga with family and friends over Zoom, playing more music at home. I've really appreciated the opportunity to just slow down, not go shopping, not go out on weekends to restaurants and bars just sort of being forced to slow down and smell the roses. It's been a real blessing. With less traffic and less people out on the streets, has there been a resurgence in wildlife or any wildlife trends that you've noticed in Toronto? There's not very much wildlife here. There's pigeons and squirrels and raccoons. I haven't noticed a resurgence or an increase in any of those urban animals. There's supposedly there's a lot more cyclists this winter than there have been past years. And last summer there was a lot more cyclists and they... The city closed lots of sort of main thoroughfares and turned them, closed them to cars, opened them up to cyclists and pedestrians. So there were huge thoroughfares that were open every weekend for thousands of cyclists to enjoy. That was that was a real blessing, and I'm sure there are a lot more cyclists on the street. And city did put down some new bicycle facilities just in the past year. Not nearly as many as they had promised, but hopefully it will it'll bring a resurgence of cycling to the city. What are some of the negative trends that you've seen or heard about in Toronto as the pandemic has progressed? The, the haunts that I used to frequent, a couple of restaurants, they're really, really struggling. A couple of them have even closed. I try to still purchase food, take out food from them. And then also the, the artists in my life are really struggling in trying to do their plays online and or sell their music online. I think that artists in particular really struggled through this time. I heard recently on the radio that it's estimated that Toronto has lost 10,000 businesses since 2020. That's just such a, a shocking number especially small independent businesses. Wow, that really is shocking. 
I'm not surprised to hear that. I, I feel like I've seen that myself with my own eyes, just the downtown core. How many places have closed down? Do you have any optimism for when things open back up? Oh, I'm so visualizing us opening up in this for the summer, at least by the summer, if not sooner. People will come out onto the streets regardless, like they did last summer. Let's all visualize this returning to at least some public outdoor public spaces this summer i i i sort of don't hope that things completely return to normal i like the more you know relaxed pace of how things have been way less frenetic in terms of events in terms of shopping and spectacle i appreciate the slowed pace but really look forward to the day when we can be spending time together again in restaurants, in people's homes, hugging each other, shaking hands, meeting in boardrooms, just having that face-to-face -face contact is really important. But there's so many people in my circle that are really suffering. People who live alone are suffering many people, not everybody. I don't know how you're doing, but I've got my own little bubble of friends and family, and so I, I haven't really suffered personally, but many people are. I know I do experience the pandemic blues of the self-isolation and the restriction in travel opportunities. This conversation with you today is helping me. It's giving me mental stimulation that my brain needs to function. My time to myself and with the limited number of people in my bubbles, I wasn't getting the same type of mental stimulation as I had before the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure what you describe is very common. On the other hand, my experience has been different. I am so appreciating the slowed pace, the opportunity to play more piano, to read more at home, to spend more time with my family. I'm a caregiver of my mother and she has advanced dementia. Prior to the lockdown, she was she lives in our home and she was going to Dementia Seniors drop-in center four full days a week. And once the lockdown happened, that was canceled, that whole program. So suddenly we have her 24 seven. My partner has really stepped up to the plate and, and is spending his days at home with her but it's been a real blessing for me to, instead of going out every night to events or social social gatherings, I'm now at home with my mom in these very precious final months or year of her life. You know, spending more time with my partner instead of like running around town like chicken with my head cut off, you know, which is my life was so full. And now it's slowed down and I still have plenty of mental stimulation via Zoom, via internet, via computers. It sounds like you're keeping busy with your job as well as your bubble and as well as caretaking for your mother. It's alarming what's in the news about institutional care for seniors. I know there's a big SOS Save Our Seniors campaign happening across Ontario around long-term care facilities. With keeping your loved one at home and taking care of them, you've got some challenges as a result, but you don't have the same fear and anxiety that the thousands of people who have family members in long-term care must be experiencing. I'm just heartbroken for all those seniors that are locked up in those institutions. I was 
blessed enough to be able to bring my mother home and mostly because I have a, a partner who's prepared to take on the primary care. My mother pays us what they were pay paying the institutions so it's sustainable. We can care for her and uh, she can contribute to the household income and it's such a blessing to know that she's being cared so well with us and safe. Imagine if she was in a dementia care center where they where they've been mostly locked down for the past year, and we wouldn't be able to visit her. She can't manage a telephone even, so we wouldn't even be able to phone her. I would just be heartbroken if no one in my family was able to visit her regularly, and she was in an institution with a whole bunch of strangers. I feel fortunate to have her in my life and I encourage other people with parents that are elderly if you can take them into your home it's of course it's a sacrifice but it's like when you have a child that is a sacrifice to take care of your child you wouldn't think of putting your child in a 24-7 institution you would care for your child and likewise it's a sacrifice to take care of a parent but it is you know, the ultimate blessing to be able to do that, to experience a parent at the end of their life is every bit as precious as experiencing a child at the beginning of their life. The changes, the opportunity for growth is every bit as great as it is with the child. Was your mom living somewhere else, but then when the pandemic started, you moved her in with you to make sure there's no problems associated with the, the pandemic, as we've seen throughout our long-term care system. Actually, two years ago, she was living in an assisted living center in Edmonton, so a ways away from me, and I would go back and see her a couple of times a year. She got the boot because of her advancing dementia. The assisted living center was no longer adequate to meet her needs. So they gave her the boot. I, I flew home to be with her and find a dementia care center that would accept her or that would be appropriate and I visited a dozen places and in the end decided none of them were really appropriate for what I thought she needed. She was very agitated and I knew if, if, they, if she was to be placed in an institution with a bunch of strangers like that, they would just increase drugs to calm her down and her decline would have just increased. That's how I perceived it. I ended up bringing her home to Toronto more than two years ago, thinking it would be temporary. I put her on some waiting lists for some of those dementia care centers, the ones that I thought were, were more superior or adequate for her. And in the end, when the waiting lists came, when her name came up to the top of the waiting list, I just kept saying no to each of them because we thought we were able to give her very good care while she was here. After after about a year, all those waiting lists were, we gave up all those opportunities and we just decided to keep her. So she's been living with us for more than two years now and declining through this whole process and weakening and also becoming more angelic and beautiful and pure in her final months as all of the anxiety of life floats away from her she is just becoming more crystallized as a you know precious pure soul it's a beautiful experience to behold as someone sort of purifying in their final years it's, it's been a real magical and spiritual experience for all of us plus she's got she gets 
so much beautiful care because we love her and mm -hmm. she's not just one of 20 other clients we understand her we speak her language we touch her we can meet all of her needs with so much love and attention you know it takes a half it takes 90 minutes to feed her a meal you know that only only family would spend that time to to give her the care that's required in this stage and it but it's so worth it to wow. ask her and to all my family that know that can rest assured that she is taken such good care of wow that's a beautiful story thank you so much for sharing that with us angela and despite the challenging circumstances there's a lot of joy and happiness there is in, in my in my household, yeah. It's been a really beautiful experience overall. It's interesting how the pandemic seems to have impacts on intergenerational living. Some families have multiple generations living together and one generation can bring COVID in and it's not affecting all the generations equally. So it's interesting how there's that generational dynamic with the COVID pandemic. Yeah, and I'm sure there are so many families that are forced to live together and be stuck under the same room 24 seven, whereas before there used to be so much more space as we shared space in the world. I recognize not everybody has had this, is so blessed as I am to have a positive experience in that intergenerational living. But, you know, maybe I am an exemption, but it's also a, an, an example for us all to rise to the challenge of caregiving for each other multi-generationally. I mean, generations around the world forever have taken care of each other and lived multi-generationally. And it's really only our generation that now thinks it's acceptable to institutionalize our elders. I question that. And now COVID is really sort of showing us that maybe that isn't the best route. Maybe more of us should be willing to sacrifice to care for our elders because they bring a lot to our lives. And I wonder too, if the loneliness pandemic would be alleviated if we had more intergenerational living. Yeah, that's, I think you're onto something there. Well, just think how lonely the elders are that are isolated in their little rooms in those seniors' homes. It, it breaks my heart to think of people trapped alone in a room, unable to have proper hygiene, unable to have proper diet, unable to have human interaction, compassion, empathy. It really does break my heart. I've been listening to Zoomer radio. It's just heartbreaking, the stories that are coming out of these long-term care homes and how little government action happened between the first and second wave. It's, all, it's, it's almost as if they did nothing. The government did nothing. And it makes it even more challenging hearing that the federal government's given billions of dollars to the province of Ontario to help people. And the province hasn't spent that money. They're sitting on it. It's really heartbreaking. But on, on another note, I was very fortunate in the 2000s to hear you speak about clean air and electricity and climate change. What are the climate impact in Toronto with the pandemic? It's true that there's a lot less traffic. And so that's, that's going to be really good for the air. I, I can't say that I've noticed it myself, but that that I'm sure has been a, a real positive trend. Also, people are flying less, people are driving less across the country, etc. So less transportation means cleaner air. On the other hand, we've seen the provincial government under the cover of COVID pass lots, you know, several different types of legislation 
that have been harmful for the environment, that harm our air and our natural spaces. And partly that's because all of the attention, the government attention, the media attention, public's attention, of course, and rightly so, has all been focused on COVID. But that means the government has been able to slip some things. And we follow the electricity sector, we at the Ontario Clean Air Alliance. And the provincial government, the first thing they did when they were elected in 2018 was they cancelled 758 green energy projects, cancelled conservation programs, and now they're doubling down on rebuilding 10 of our aging nuclear reactors and increasing the use of gas-fired power by 300% in the next decade during a climate era. When, you know, they're committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions and reducing electricity rates, they're doing exactly the opposite. Rebuilding high-cost, high-risk nuclear, aging nuclear reactors and tripling the amount of electricity that they're burning and buying up old gas plants that were previously owned by, by the private sector, buying them up and cranking out much more gas. They hate renewable power and conservation and love nuclear and gas. So that's the sector I've been following. I know from following Sarah Harmer's Twitter, they're making some moves in the development of Mount Nemo. I hear there, there's a new highway slated to go across the north end of Toronto through sensitive areas. It does seem that the Ontario government, the Ford Nation government, is using the pandemic to promote their own agenda. Yeah, so what they're doing there is, and this has also been just in the last year, is they've guided the power of the conservation authorities, which were established in the 50s in Ontario, to protect wild spaces, protect farmland so it's an independent body that is set up with the with the purpose of maintaining and protecting wild space and farmland and preventing developments the ford government has just neutered that agency any any government municipality or provincial government who decides they want to raise money by like just paving over part of the Green Belt, for example, or building new highways, the, the, the conservation authorities no longer have the power to prevent those developments. It's That's, a real evil thing that the Ford government has done there. It's shocking to see how our conservation areas are under attack. I know I use conservation areas weekly to go for walks, to connect with nature. One of the changes that the Ford government made that really still upsets me is the ripple effect of the Ford policies is that the Laurel Creek Sugar Shack program for children has been closed. This is a program that ran in Waterloo Region for decades, bringing children out into the sugar bush to collect sap, to help process it into maple syrup. And the, that program has been cut and it just upsets me. I also feel like it's an attack on reconciliation as it was an important program for showing how First Nations supported settlers when we came to the new world. It's a tangled ball of string, but when you start pulling at it, it just shows you the problems this government is creating. They're also, in addition to what I mentioned, rebuilding 10 aging nuclear reactors and ramp ramping up gas 300% in the next decade. They're also going to spend billions or many millions plus get federal subsidies. That's their plan to build small nuclear reactors. They are planning to build one at Darlington and Oshawa, so just in the GTA. 
and and they want to build some the the feds are planning on building some up at chalk river and you know nobody really wants these so-called smrs small modular nuclear reactors the last thing we need is more security concerns and radioactive potential accidents and radioactive waste dotting our landscape we still don't know what to do with our existing nuclear waste that needs to be isolated from the environment, according to the industry, for one million years. Why would we produce these radioactive hazardous wastes when nobody wants them, when they're super expensive, when they're at minimum a decade away from producing any power, if they ever do, when we have lower cost green energy alternatives like made in Ontario wind and solar, conservation to reduce our demand and in Ontario we're very fortunate to live next door to Quebec one of the world's largest water power producers they have so much surplus electricity and storage capacity we live right next door we have the grid between our two provinces they're offering it to Ontario at a fraction of the cost of rebuilding our aging nuclear reactors why on earth wouldn't we just grab whatever we can from them and build out renewable solutions to our electricity supply needs makes no sense and really it's just it's ideological it's a Ford nation that is representing the status quo of the big nuclear big gas fossil industries at a time when we should be embracing renewable <laughs> and low pollution energy they're going all in on the opposite end of the spectrum exactly it, it reminds me of kind of the, the direction alberta went with with the tar sands now they've got these they can't build any pipelines and kind of popular culture is against them trade with the americans is against them but they went down that road knowing that it had a a sketchy future. It makes me think that the Ontario move to nuclear is similarly uh, biased in the sense that it doesn't seem to be giving us an over overall public good and the, the, the negative market externalities of the pollution and whatnot far outweigh the short-term effects of electricity production, especially like you said, when we can get it from other cleaner sources. Yeah, absolutely. Just as fossil fuel industry is slowly, it's going to be all those pipelines and all the infrastructure in Alberta is gonna be stranded assets and they're just gonna dump it on the public and we're gonna to have to clean it up. It's the same thing with, the, with Ontario, we are, investing in very high costs like multi like Darlington the Darlington rebuild is a 13 billion dollar infrastructure project over a decade that we're going to be stuck with that really high cost nuclear electricity for you know four or five decades and then we're going to have to deal with the waste for a million years meanwhile wind and solar is already a fraction of the cost of that 13 billion dollars we could produce that electricity and save Ontarians billions of dollars produce it now because we can ramp up water wind and solar in a couple of years versus the 10 plus years it's going to cost Ontario to rebuild each of those nuclear reactors we're locking ourselves into a high cost high risk nuclear future those assets are all going to be stranded when the citizens of Ontario say enough we are not going to continue to spend billions of dollars to OPG when we can be getting our electricity at a fraction of the cost in our own communities, producing it locally, decentralized with green electrons 
instead of this dangerous radioactive mess we're, we're creating all across the province. It's alarming speaking with you because I didn't understand we were so close to a nuclear revival in Ontario. I wonder if the, if the public is aware or if this is a conversation that's happening behind closed doors and the government doesn't want people to know what they're planning on doing. Yeah, that's why they call them small modular reactors. They won't even put the word nuclear in it because it's not popular. The public, if they knew what the province was planning. I mean, David, did you know we are the second most nuclearized jurisdiction in the world? We have 18 working nuclear reactors. 12 of them in the, like, nobody knows that. You ask anybody walk around outside how many reactors in my office building, nobody knows because they don't, the industry doesn't want us to know because they know it's unpopular. Nuclear power is unpopular because rightly so. It's it's dangerous. Everybody's heard about Fukushima and Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. They don't want one of those. If, if Pickering, which is 30 kilometers from downtown Toronto, if Pickering Blue, it's one of the world's oldest and largest nuclear stations designed to last 30 years. It's now 49 and they've gotten permission to run it till age 53 and they're asking for permission beyond that. The older a nuclear station gets, the more more dangerous it becomes. It's right in the GTA. If that thing blew all of Scarborough, half of Toronto, it would be evacuated. We'd never be able to return, just like what's happened in Chernobyl. Why would we risk that? Especially it's very high cost. When for less cost, we could we could close Pickering and import water power from Quebec. We've got the grid. We could build out wind and solar. It makes absolutely no sense. Then on top of it, also just 20 kilometers east of Pickering, also in the GTA, four nuclear reactors rebuilt building all four. The Bruce Nuclear Station on Lake Huron, just up by Concordon, is the world's largest nuclear station. And with eight reactors, they're rebuilding all eight reactors, locking us in for another four or five decades. Still no solution what to do with the waste. What do they want to do with the waste? Shoot it into the sun? They want to to bury it in a hole 600 meters below the surface of the earth, just south of the station called, it's called a DGR, Deep Geologic Repository. They want to bring all of Ontario's high level waste and, and bury it there. They also want to bring all of Ontario's low and intermediate level waste buried in a hole. That's all the industry can come up with. They, they keep saying, you know, there's, they're, they're hoping that SMRs can, you know, reuse the waste, but they can't. And so they want it just buried in a hole, spend billions of dollars and decades to bury it deep in a hole and hope it doesn't doesn't explode or leak because if it does, it's right on the edge of Lake Huron and it'll just go right into Lake Huron and, and destroy one of the world's great freshwater lakes. There's only been three DGRs built in the world that have housed radioactive waste and all three have failed. One of them in in Germany, they're actually bringing the waste back up. They're going to spend billions of dollars and decades to bring it all back up because it leaked and they can't afford to have the, the groundwater poisoned. So, you know, we don't know what to do with it. Has, so- Germany, has Germany made a move to get out of nuclear? Yeah, they have, I think it was, it was 22 reactors and they're 
or 17 and they're on track to having them all phased out by 2022. Most European countries are refusing to get into the nuclear business at all. The nuclear industry globally is reducing numbers, percentage of nuclear power that's percentage of power produced by nuclear power around the world is only about 10%. It's just going down, down each year as reactors start getting shut down because they're all old around the world. They were mostly built pre-Chernobyl. Now the nuclear industry is trying to revive itself with small nuclear reactors and also claiming to be a climate solution, which of course they're not, and which we have no solution. The SMRs are still in a research phase. They're minimum a, a decade away. They're just grasping at straws, trying to get government funding. The only place where they're being built is where governments are paying for it. No private dollars are going into them. Even Bill Gates is trying to get federal supports to build them. Why are we wasting time and energy on some technological solution when we have the solutions? It's called renewable power. It's called wind, water, solar. It's called conservation. It's called ground source heat pumps. It's called offshore wind. It's called algae and biogas. And there's so many beautiful options to meeting our electricity needs. Angela, it's great to hear that there's safer alternatives. And it's almost like we need two or three shows to go into this nuclear pandemic conversation. It's so alarming. Thank you so much for bringing it to our attention today. Do you think this COVID-19 pandemic is going to be resolved? If so, how? And what do you think it'll be like after? Well, I think one of the lessons of COVID is that the world can respond very quickly to global crises. And likewise, I I really visualize as we come out of this, that we transfer all this energy, this global cooperative energy to dealing with the climate crisis. The climate crisis hasn't gone away. It was here pre-COVID and it's still here. Just as we are going to solve COVID, we must also come together as a global community to solve our climate challenges, and we can. And many countries are very committed to it, and Ontario needs to get with the program. Canada needs to get with the program. No more buying pipelines, no more exploiting resources up in the north. Together we can solve, we must solve the climate crisis for the planet, for future generations, for all creatures, great great and small. So that's where I think we need to put our energy. I'm continuing to put my energy in that direction despite there being not much attention given to it these days. And when COVID lifts, that's the next big focus. We've seen Biden, he's going full steam ahead to solve the climate crisis in the states to show some leadership and we need the same thing from canada to match his efforts angela i can't thank you enough for your time today and your perspective it seems every guest we learn of a new pandemic and it sounds like the nuclear pandemic is just around the corner and we need to get on top of it as a community and gas and natural gas yeah 
I don't like to call it natural gas. We gas. call it fossil gas or fracked gas. Fracked 80% gas. of the gas burnt in, in Canada is fracked. So we might as well call it fracked gas. And or fracked gas, gas contaminates a lot of water. Contaminates water and also has lots of fugitive emissions going into the air. It's methane. It's 20 times more carbon intensive than CO2. On behalf of the Pandemic Show, I'd really like to thank you for your expertise and letting us all know what a serious issue we have that government's working on as as we're all unaware. Thank you for your interest, David. Yeah, I'd like to maybe direct people to, we have a couple of different petitions and one is ontarioclimateaction.ca. So that's where we're encouraging the province of Ontario to phase out gas for electricity purposes and move to a renewable future. Thank you very much for your time today, Angela. Thanks, David. Appreciate your support. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day. Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemi Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the Pandemic Show.